All right, I have a question for you. And it's it's a variation on the desert island. For some reason, it occurred to me the other day that if I'm making a camera, I should try and figure out exactly what the one I most would want and then make that one <laughs> instead of like all these random experiments that I've been doing. So I started thinking, and it's kind of like the desert island question. It's like, well, if you could only have one camera, what would its characteristics be? And instead of having to pick one from the past, you know, completely just sort of blue sky design, your ideal. So I'm, I'm curious what comes into your head when you think about doing that. So let's just say you were going to be forced to use only that camera for an extended period of time. I think that there are a couple of approaches. Uh, one of the approaches is to do what uh, what I think that you like to do, which is to build a universal camera that you could use um, in multiple situations. Um and, you know, multiple formats, multiple lenses, all that type of thing. So, so it'd be, you know, the, the MacGyver, um, uh, Swiss army knife of photography. Um, and that's one way to go. And I'm, I, that's probably the way that you would go, but I don't think that that's the way I'm going to go. Um, I am going to hang on one second here. You're getting farther and farther away. Yes, absolutely. I had an alarm go off on my phone there. Okay, so uh, so I, I'm. Pretty... <laughs> and the, I thought you had your head under the desk with a ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> now you're making me cough. I've been sick all week. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah, it's. It, it, we're so professional. We're prepared for this whole thing. Uh, okay, so the um, the the camera that I would get, I would build, would be. Uh, Medium format, it would be 645. Um, it would be portrait. Um, or, you know, and, or it could, it doesn't necessarily have to be an exact 645. It could be something along those lines. Now, one of the reasons why we have 645 format is that it's half of six by nine, right? Um, sure. and that they have numbers on the back. So I yeah. might, I might, but it's a really nice shape. It is a nice shape. I agree. I, in fact, actually, I think it's, it, it's a little bit, um, uh, closer to square than, than 35 millimeter frame is. Oh yeah. Noticeably. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that that's where I would go. Um, and, uh, I, I think it would be, I would go with a, a as normal lens as possible. Um, and I would like it to be something, you know, I mean, this is desert island. This is pie in the sky. Uh, I would love it to have a single pole ratchet, um, film advance so that I don't, I'm not stuck to that back window. Um, and you know, and then it would, would work for that. So, um, so yeah, so maybe I'm, uh, you know, Bronica RF, whatever, RF645 or, one of those Fuji cameras that are very similar to that with the fixed lens. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I might build something very close to that. Um, but uh, I was just, I think at this point, yeah. the question is why don't you just build it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually something that I'm looking into right now. So, so here's, so here's what is that I didn't quite catch from this. So is yeah. it, is it a view, it's a viewfinder uh, or rangefinder? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You'd be definitely so. So, so you're gonna you're talking about the type like a a Leica style viewfinder where you see 
a patch in the middle of the scene and right. frame lines and that whole thing. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is very close to the Bronica RF645, which a friend loaned me once. I had it for a year. Right. And it was really nice. It was not that heavy. It was just plain old, like an ordinary camera-shaped rangefinder camera that you just could use almost without thinking. It was really nice. You know, okay, so this is our Desert Island Pie in the Sky thing is, you know what? I want it to be a 645 Leica. Um, oh, and, all right. And now, part of the deal... Now you a challenge. Yeah, well, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, now, part of the deal with a Leica is um, those of, of you who've used a Leica... Um, is that there's something really nice about that ratcheting. It's there's it's a beautiful machine. Now, I'm also fully of the belief that you don't have to have a Leica to have that ex- to have to shoot photographs that are worthy of that. I I don't think that the Leica is going to make my photographs any better. What it's going to do is it's going to make my photographing experience different and it's and i love working with those machines and those are just absolutely beautiful machines and um, i think they're designed to make you put as much film through them as you humanly can <laughs> absolutely absolutely i i was at a wedding on saturday and i shot a roll um a 400 speed film at at 1600 and it was and i went through that roll uh like butter you know uh, it makes you want to use it, which is a valuable commodity on a camera because I'm going to, I'm going to back up. I had a, one of the Fuji, uh, I think it was GW645. Uh, I, I forget exactly what the number was, but it had a 75 millimeter lens. It was a folding camera and it came out of the eighties. It was right. You know, technically it was at the pinnacle of, uh, yeah, of the range finders, cameras. right? You know, um, it had a light meter. It, um, you know, it was, it was, um, it was absolutely beautiful and it left me cold. It absolutely left me cold. Uh, it had this really ugly green writing on it. Um, it was a folder. The folding mechanism was clumsy and, and, and I'm still baffled, but it did keep that lens absolutely perfect. I know I'm going on and on about what's supposed to be a short response, but, um, no, I think this is good because you're describing your, your, your big build for the coming year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Grand builds. Oh, six, four, five, like right. Exactly. Um, well, what you're, de- what you're describing is also would be a like very streamlined version of what the Mamiya press camera, which was like the most awkward and heavy version. Oh, and it's ugly as sin. Uh, and yeah, that's... well, I I, I kind of like the way it looks in the sort of nineteen seventy one Volvo kind of way. Yes, but, absolutely. But it, it is, uh, yeah, it isn't beautiful, and that's also partly because it's big and awkward. But it is, it does all the things you want. It's, uh, in fact, it does them at six by nine, so it's it... you know it's actually quite a bit bigger than you need. But it's. It's something, this camera you're describing, it's buildable. I'm going to try and come up with a design based on what you're saying. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yes, absolutely. And I'm going to give a very short nutshell version of, of what came to me when I thought of this question, which would be, in my case, it would be a very simple camera that you could focus by moving the lens back and forth. So it would use lenses with a shutter in them. And it, on the back, it would have ground glass. 
but it would be set up with a mirror and a hood so that you could view it like a waist level viewfinder on an SLR, you know, by looking down into the hood. And that, it just makes it that much more convenient to use ground glass that it, you feel like doing it as opposed to, you know, when you have to put the big hood on and get the tripod way high or else get down on your belly or, you know, it's so much more work. So that, that takes essentially like a, a fully flexible kind of a field camera type camera and makes it into something fairly convenient to shoot. Sort of like a Hasselblad, but it's not a single lens reflex. It's, um, you're looking at the ground glass in the back and then you have to put a film back on it. So you don't have that, you know, instant, it's a tripod machine. And then you could use it with a view, you could use it with a viewfinder for handheld, no problem. Um, so it's basically a version of the Mercury's that I've been playing with. Right. But what's different is that I want a reflex viewer on the ground glass on the back. So that's what I need to build. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I, it's very doable. I mean, it's doable mm -hmm. with parts you probably have in your house right now. Well, you actually, Mamiya actually made this. Um, there's a, there's a graph lock. They made a, a back for their press cameras that had a, accepted two by three graph lock stuff. And it had the same kind of hood and viewer as you would see on a, you know, crown graphic or something. So you could just use it outdoors. But they also made a reflex one with a mirror. I think, for one of their cameras. So you could look down into it and it was just much more convenient. Uh, so I, I guess what we thought we were going to do is try and work backward from an image to a camera because we've been talking about camera design endlessly now for many episodes but really what we're all what we're interested in is not even so much the cameras as the results and the images and you can kind of tell that when you look at our cameras because you can tell that we work kind of hastily <laughs> they're not really as beautiful as a lot of other people's and that's partly because we're more interested in in a result uh, in terms of an image than in the perfect camera. So uh, we thought we'd start with an image that had made us think of a design or a plan for a camera. Uh, and the, the image I picked is uh, one that I took with a, I had a, a really, I'd found an insanely cheap uh, Vivitar 24 millimeter wide angle lens with a Nikon mount on it. And I put it on an old uh, camera, took some pictures and they were, came out really great. And it, it just, I hadn't really been using wide angle lenses for quite a while. And it just reminded me how much fun they are when you use them. Right. And I started thinking about making a camera kind of a point and shoot medium format camera that would be wide like that. And, uh, I've got a lot of the parts and it's just a matter of, uh, putting some together, um, maybe based on a, an old 65 millimeter, uh, Optar lens from the crown graphic, uh, speed graphic family okay um let's let people know um if you go to the show notes um in the show notes you will find a link to the photos that we're talking about in this section um so what we see in it uh for those people who are driving and and, and can't 
Um, uh, and I will not look at their screens. And will not look at their screens. <laughs> Please don't. Um, because believe me, it's not worth it. It's Nick's photo. Um, <laughs> so come on. I'll say that again. It's not worth it. It's Nick's photo. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Okay. So what it is, is it, it's, it's got a boulder that is centered left to right, but it is in the lower half of the, uh, picture and it is on a seashore is that the sound out there puget sound yeah. that we can see okay. well actually, no actually it isn't it's north of there but it's near puget sound okay and, and uh to be pedantic and what what i um <clears throat> what struck me about this image why i got interested in shooting with wide angle again is that it shows a whole place or not a whole place but a big enough piece of a place that you can get a real sense of it and Right. That's what's okay. really, really fun about uh, that kind of wide angle of view is that you can get enough in to tell a, a bigger story or have more stuff going on. And so, and one of the things is that you can get really close in on an object, show it in full, and then show it also within its environment, all within one yeah. picture. And it works particularly well in this one because that's a really huge boulder. It's so the scale is already off even without the wide angle lens okay <laughs> and then yeah it looks to be uh, about more. five feet tall am i right about that no it's it's probably nine or ten feet tall oh okay okay then yeah. that means that the tree the driftwood trees are bigger right um, than i was expecting those are logs yeah they're well there's still a lot of old growth floating around out here in the, yeah. in the water so okay yeah. so um so you are you're going to take this image or or this type of shooting situation and look for that wide angle uh opportunity is that what yeah what so you're something doing here? that you can just always have with you and 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 right whenever you see something that really makes sense just there you are it's ready to go easy maybe yeah. even fix folk maybe even fix focus but you know uh, shutter and aperture control. So just any of those basic wide angle lenses could be the 50 millimeter Mamiya or it could be the 65 Optar, whatever goes with best with the film back. Yeah. And, uh, and this yeah. particular image, you, you were stopped down because the closest rocks in the lower right hand corner and the sand right at the bottom is in focus. And oh, we yeah. can see the mountain range, the, the white peak of whatever mountain range that is in the background. Uh, we that's, can also uh, the, see yeah. that. that. That's the Olympics. It's actually yeah. what your cam your camera is named after. So <laughs> th this um the other thing about this that is also significant. It is somewhat stopped down, but that's a uh, like a ten dollar Vivitar lens. Wow, and it's just fine. I don't feel the need to buy a Nikon lens at all. Okay, sure. It's a perfectly good lens. It's sharp all the way out to the corners. It's really there, nice. There was a uh, a real famous um, letter. Uh, I think it was Edward Weston wanted to buy a new lens, and he wrote a letter to Ansel Adams about what lens he should buy. And Ansel Adams wrote back, Every lens today is sufficiently sharp to do whatever you want with it. Right. Don't worry about what brand it is. Don't worry about what model it is. Get what fits your hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, you know, so, um, mm -hmm. and I, and I really, I really believe that to be 
the case um, today um, with certain... Well, that's essentially true, but I still find big differences between one lens and another. But what I also find is that they don't track on a brand or a cost or any of that stuff. They they just turn up and you okay. recognize them when you see them. Okay. What, you know, and some of them happen to say Vivitar and, and there's no rubber left on it, you know. Sure. And, and uh, you know, and others have a, a Zeiss name on it or whatever. But I don't know. I keep being surprised. I often find, too, that the, the cheaper lens within a, a lineup that a particular brand sold, I'll sometimes prefer to the, more, the fancier ones, too. It happens a lot, so absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and um, uh, part of the deal is that lenses certainly have characteristics, um, but it is much more the characteristic of the eye uh, of the of the photographer than it is um, the right quality when those of come to, when that when those co- coincide, you're all set. Right. right. That, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to mine, or do you have more to more about this one? Nope. Okay. So um, when we were talking about doing this, um, we talked about you know picking a photo and talk about how the camera build uh, either stemmed from the photo or or uh, how the camera build interacted with the photo and the and the photo that I'm I picked um, was um, from the um, 63 camera that I designed. It's um, a lensed camera that has a six by three format on 120 film. And um, the, the, and the idea that I was looking for, for the, um, for the, the camera itself was to take a panorama image, you know, uh, a, a, a two to or one to two panorama image that uh, allows for a very wide landscape usage. But I also wanted to make the, the camera easy to turn so that you can make that a portrait usage in um, instead. Now, the concept is the two-to-one aspect ratio is most common... Uh, most commonly taken, um, you know, on the six by twelve cameras, and the six by twelve cameras are all about getting that long landscape. So generally, in, in six by twelve pictures, have a horizon in them. Uh, they have a foreground, background. Um, they have a middle ground, and the horizon's usually somewhere in there. Um, but that's not the only way to shoot those, and so I wanted to be able to turn it in order to to emphasize height as opposed to width. Um, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with a, with a two-to-one landscape um, uh, setup, you know. Uh, but there's something also that's nice about the two-to-one vertical um, image. And so here's an example of that. Well, what I see is your one of your dad's uh, great uh, shelters that he designed and had built in uh, roadside uh, rest areas. It's a beautiful form. Um, it's viewed from inside, and it's an amazingly well framed. Uh, having used that camera, I don't know how you got such precise framing. It's really good. Um, it, well, it 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 had to do with the space. Um, it was really important to me um, that the space was correct, and the space needed to be 
Um, uh, okay, so l- let me describe the, the space. It's it's a picnic shelter that has a very narrow end that you enter, and it opens out into a wide end that overlooks a bluff. And, and so it's, it's a continuously curving form, right? Like maybe inside a musical instrument or something. Yeah. Like a boat. Well, the idea, the the concept behind it. This is this is a building my 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 dad designed. And it, the concept behind it are the ribs of uh, of a dinosaur, a, a brontosaur. The shape of it gets so much larger when you're inside. It, uh, it well, or it's or think of it this way: think of a um, a concert hall that has the stage at the center, and then it has those sweeping ceilings that go out. And it, so it's got a kind of a trumpet shape to it. And that's, that's a similar thing. What I was looking for here was the ability to show both that small entrance and the lofty space above by turning it sideways and, and, and shooting in, uh, the, the vertical orientation. And that was one of the things that I really wanted with this, um, uh, with this photograph. So that was one of, that was one of my goals. And I, you know, I designed this over the, um, uh, I don't know, the, the three or four months before I took this trip with my father and, um, had this opportunity to shoot it, um, on that trip. And so it was, you know, uh, it was fresh in my head what I designed it for. And this opportunity presented itself, and that was the that was the the goal, that was the idea, and and really that's one of the things that I talk about when I build when I'm talking about building cameras, is I want to build a camera that is different from the other cameras that are out there. Um, I uh, you know I I don't want to build another. Um, I don't need to build another um, uh, Terrapin Oscar. Um, uh, that Todd Schlemmer builds, you know, I, he, I have one. I love it. I use it all the time. I don't need another one of those. Uh, but this was not available to me and I'm going to continue to build in this format. So I will continue to, to, um, uh, work within, uh, this two to one, in the vertical, uh, so, I mean, for one thing, I get 24 pictures, 23 pictures, that last one will not take, but 23 pictures out of a, a roll of 120, which is very nice for my, um, uh, my frugality. Yeah, it's actually, I think the, it must be fairly close to the shape and area of an X-Pan negative, I, I think. It, it is, uh, an X-Pan is 65 by 24. And this is 24 by 56. So, right. so a little bit chunkier. Right. Which is nice. Yeah. Right. Um, so actually this is, is it 26 by 56? 24 by 56? Uh, 23 by 56. It's something, something right in there. Um, so it, so I guess maybe it is a little bit wider than two to one, but that's the, that was the, one of the, that was one of the things that was different about that Bronica RF. That 645 was in portrait mode when you held it in the, what's sort of the familiar position of a camera. So when the camera was horizontal, it was showing you a vertical framing. And 
that was that was really funny for me because I'm really strongly prejudiced towards landscape format. It's just the way I like to shoot. And it was really kind of good for me to have a camera that every time I held it up to my eye was the wrong way around. <laughs> it made me consider those compositions much, much more often than I otherwise would have because it kept sticking them in my face. And the 645 is also a little wider, so you're not... You know, I think part of the reason I'm allergic to portrait mode is because the 2 by 3 format of 35 millimeter, I've just kind of gotten tired of seeing it. And sure, I don't like I don't like that way. It isn't quite tall enough. Like what is nice about your uh, two? Well, what is it? It's um, three by two. No, two by four. It's one to two ratio. And your one to two ratio is something that you could maybe get a tree in. You know, it's like a, it's a it's a useful shape. It's tall enough to really get something in there. Um, but two by three, it just isn't quite enough. You know, so it it always. It, yeah, it seems like a compromise to me. I'd rather have square and crop it later than, you know, than, than have that. The reason why those um, 645 cameras were uh, portrait mode is that um, that's the shape of a magazine page. Well, it's because they wanted the film to roll left to right. Well, sure, sure, absolutely. I but mean, But it is also the size of a magazine page. So if right. you're shooting a, a model, right. Um, right, right, right. Uh, that would be, you know, you could use the whole frame. You wouldn't have to crop it. Uh, you're using a large negative anyway, so get you it. get the high quality, right. you know. Right. So. And, if, and if you put, if you made the mistake of giving them one in landscape, they might pay you less because they would be have to write a bunch of words underneath your picture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So... Um, one of the things, uh, the, the camera is hyperfocal, so I wasn't worried about focusing. Um, and, uh, it was, it's hyperfocal at F16, but this particular shot was taken at F8 because I was inside the building. And, um, so that means that the, and it's, it's, um, when you, when you are, when you have a hyperfocal lens and you stop or you open up the lens so that it is uh, at uh, a wider opening than the hyperfocal, you're... Then infi infinity starts to go out of focus. Infinity goes out in focus, but but things closer will remain in focus. So that's that's what we see here. So again, once again, it's focused on the building and it's not focused outside um, the ship. Yeah, that's nice. That's 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 an example when we actually came up with that way back when we discussed focusing mechanisms that you could consider the aperture as a focusing mechanism. The other thing that occurred to me looking at your dad's shelter is that that is a really nice uh, way to build a camera. There's a frame and then there's strips laid over the top. If you want to make like a really, you know, uh, not not a, a non rectilinear or let's say organic formed camera then building a frame and then covering it is a good way to go we talked about that last time in materials but this photograph illustrates it really well So I've built a camera over the last uh, couple weeks, 
And um, it came as a start. Um, the, the start of it was um, the old travel wide camera. That was what was in my head. And it was, uh, I think the camera company's Wanderlust, if I, if I remember correctly. And it was a, um, uh, it was a Kickstarter. And the idea was it was a, uh, four by five camera. You would put your own lens on the front. It comes with a helical, focusing helical. Um, and it had a ground glass insert that you could use. Um, but then it just used normal, uh, four by five sheet film holders. And it was a point and shoot type of camera. And, uh, it was light. It was lighter. I mean, I'm sure it's probably, yeah, it's probably still the lightest, um, four by five camera that's out there. Uh, because it's just, you know, it's just the plastic of the, uh, of the body and the plastic of the helical. Um, and, and the lens. So, um, it's gotta be the, the, still the lightest one out there. And, and I think it, it was designed, I, to, the ideal lens for it was the 90 millimeter Angulon that we, you and I both use. Right. It's very small, very light, tiny little lens. And, and it is, uh, that would be a, a pretty good wide angle. It'd be about a 28 if I'm right on four or, by five. Yeah. It'd be about a 28. Or even maybe a little bit wider on four by five. Yeah. It's generous. Okay. So, um, so I thought, you know, I can make one of those. And, um, but I am, uh, I, I do not have a four by five camera. I do not have four by five processing equipment and I don't have a scanner that has four by five capabilities though. I did back Hamish's, uh, pixelator. So I was, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'll be okay with digitizing, um, the, a four by five negative. So in the meantime, I have a two and a quarter by two and a quarter Graflex camera. And it, um, and I have a set of two and a quarter by two and a quarter, um, uh, film holders, sheet film holders. But then I was on eBay and somehow I got, uh, I bought, uh, a set of a hundred sheets of two and a quarter by three and a quarter. I'm going to say that a lot. It's not an easy thing to say the two and a quarter by two, three and a quarter. Just say two by three. The two, by, two three. by three. Okay. So <laughs> I bought, well, but it is two and a quarter by three and a quarter film, which is, um, 57 millimeters tall. And, and there, no one's making it anymore. And no one's yeah. making it anymore. And this is some, some FP4. Uh, from the eighties. And, um, so I got it and I loaded it in, uh, to the, to That'll the, be fine, I bet. to the loaders. Right, right. So, yeah. so I should, I should back up and say that I actually built the camera and I built it based on that same, um, concept of the travel wide, which is you need a plastic cone. You need it that will have a film holder in the back and a lens. Uh, I, uh, um, on a, on a helical, it's on a helical, right? It's on a helical in the front, but it isn't, uh, it's not one that I built. It is an M65 helical. And so I just built, uh, a 65 millimeter hole in the front of the, um, of the camera and screwed on because it's a, you know, it's a screw mount. Uh, the M65 is a screw mount. Um, so I just screwed that on the end cut a piece of aluminum 
um, in a circle so, and stuck that on the end of the helical, cut a circle out of that. Well, I did that before I stuck it on the end, end of the helical. Uh, but to, uh, for an 80 millimeter super angulon. Okay. So, um, uh, so I, I essentially have this ability to focus. I, um, and, um, and the, the shutter and the, uh, apertures are all on the front, right? So, uh, I have the ability to focus. So I built a ground glass back for it. And, um, the, I, I mentioned it, I think the last show, uh, and basically what I did was out of the, uh, uh, I built a 3d film holder, but rather than have it as a film holder, it just holds the ground glass. So it's the exact same size as the, so the, so two the by glass, three. the glass is edge, right? Is the same exact place where the film would be. Right. Right. So did you have to modify it at all to get it in there or was the glass thin enough to just shove in? And... Well, no. Um, uh, I, what I did was I used, um, plexiglass. So I, you know, I ground it myself, 200 grit, uh, 220 grit sandpaper so with an orbital. So it's sander. pretty thin. So yeah, it's relatively thin, but I'm putting the ground glass side towards the lens. So it is going to be, it doesn't matter how thick the glass is. Because the glass is sitting on the, the place that catches the image is sitting at the point where the film would sit. Yeah, I understand. I just yeah. wanted to know if you, could you just push the ground glass right into the film holder or did you have to modify the film holder? Oh, no. This was a 3D printed film. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, so in the back, you know, it's got it. it I have it so you can slide in, um, uh, a two and a quarter by three and a quarter film holder. And then I built another film holder out of, you know, 3d printed plastic that just mimics the same size. And I see, but right. it, okay. it, so it's got a so ground you, what glass. You, when it. you, what you really did is you made a custom made ground glass holder. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and so sounds better when you say it like that. it does. It does. Absolutely. Uh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely right. So, I mean, so here are the challenges. Here are the challenges. I had a, uh, um, I knew which lens it was going to be so I could make a solid body. Okay. Um, and it was going to have a helical, so it was going to be adjustable, but that helical only travels. Um, uh, I think it's not, it's, it's not very much. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not very much. It's five or six millimeters at the most. Um, yeah. so I had to have it within range, right? So the um, flange focal distance for that lens was 99 millimeters. So I just, within the 3D program, um, you know, made a shape that was 99 millimeters, put it where the film was, and then that was how far out the helical had to be. So then I had to had to do a little modeling. I had to model the helical, and I had to model the aluminum that would sit at the end. And I think I got it pretty close. When you um, say model, do you, do in, you in mean the 3D you, you were messing around in a computer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In okay. the 3D yeah. program. And just to let everybody know that the 3D program I use is, uh, it's made by Autodesk that also makes Maya and a bunch of other applications. Uh, I think they also do 3D Studio Max. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, Autodesk makes 
an app called Fusion 360. And it's very much a modeler's app as opposed to Maya, which you can model in, but it's more of an animator's app. Um, so this, it, it, it works very well, uh, for this tool or for this, uh, for this process. So, um, I, uh, so I figured out that distance and then as I was building it, I just built it in the model, in the 3d program, built it so that it would fit that dimension, that, that, uh, 99 millimeter dimension. Um, so, um, the, the big thing that I needed was I needed a way to focus it. So I have that ground glass. I need a way to, uh, expose. So the shutters on the lens, um, and I needed a film transport mechanism and that's the two by three film holders. So I had everything that I needed right within that system and, and it's so nice, nice and simple too. Right, right. So the first time I went out and shot, um, uh, I, I ended up setting it for hyperfocal. Well, you know, set it for infinity focus is what I did because, um, couldn't uh, see a thing on the ground glass. <laughs> I couldn't see a thing on the ground glass because it was a bright sunny day. I didn't right. think need that a, I needed need a, hood a darkening hood. Yeah. Right. So, or, I, you know, maybe, maybe this thing, you should just sew it right onto the front of a hoodie. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like sure maybe and maybe even make like a very a sturdy baseball cap that can support it and yeah hang it so it'll hang in front of your face just it can just be a mask that i wear in front and walk right. around it'll be you'll be able to get away with it until halloween's over yeah the problem is that i'd have to take off my mask all the time to to flip the film holder over and pull out the the ground glass okay you'll so have to practice practice so here is the other end of the problem um, that I hope I solve today. So the other end of the problem is that this is two and a quarter by three and a quarter inch film, which will not fit into any film holders unless you have a two and a quarter by three and a quarter developing tank. And I'm sure they had them somewhere. They're not on eBay. Um, I haven't been able to find anything uh, you know, the film holders for it, you know, you can, you, I can always can't, develop it. Can you feed, can you feed them into, uh, into a roll film holder? Is there one that, cause I have some old ones that set a lot of different distances apart. Yeah. I, well, I and suppose you, you might be able to feed them in there and then, you know, I don't know how many you could push in, but you know, a yeah, few and then I do, do have them a, all that way. I have a couple of plastic reel tanks, but mostly I use, uh, metal reel tanks and the problem is that it is 57 millimeters tall and those, um, the, the spiral reels on a metal tank are about 59 millimeters apart for that 60 millimeter film. So, um, oh, well, here's a suggestion I'm going to break in because yeah. I have this daylight tank that for four by five, that'll do four sheets. Uh-huh. It just popped into my head, though, that if you have a good-sized old regular plastic tank, all you need to do is make a little rack that holds a few sheets of film, drop it in there, screw the top on, and just, you know, treat it like any other. You could even have set it up to have a agitator and everything. Right. Uh, that's one way to do it. My other, the other way to do it was because I don't have one of those tanks, um, 
I today built essentially a 50 in the 3D modeling program. I haven't printed it, but in the 3D modeling program, I essentially built a spiral um, tank, you know, uh, a, a spiral film um, uh, reel. And oh, okay. so okay. I'm going to print that and see if I can get uh, that to work. Um, well, I was so also imagining week. you might try designing one that is just slots like a toaster. Um, I, I thought about that. Uh, but and just that would whatever fits inside your tank, you know, so it'd be a square, whatever square drops into your tank. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly a possibility. The big thing is that you have to have flow around and... And it's not as easy to build that tank, uh, or that, that holder to let the, the, um, the chemicals, uh, move around. So I think I have a solution. If I have a solution, I'll make it, make it public. I'll tell you guys to download it. But just, just do stand developing and then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing is that you have to figure a way to make sure that they don't, uh, they're not touching. So, so, so far I've, I've exposed exactly one sheet of film. Um, and, uh, and I will, I'm going to shoot a couple more. Um, uh, I just haven't, haven't gone out and done it yet. Um, the big thing about this was, um, uh, I had everything on hand to build this, except, um, I didn't have any of the film. So I, I, I essentially essentially spent fifty bucks on this whole project because the film uh, I needed the film, so I I I, I sprung for that. But um, uh, so hopefully that's the only cost, uh, and I'm going to see whether it, it, if this works as a project, if it works as a camera that I want to go out and shoot, then I'll go ahead and build the four x five travel wide. Uh, kind of concept, not, I'm not going to build a travel wide, but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll use that same kind of concept and I'll build a full sized one. So we'll, we'll have to see Well, we're going to hold off on that. Um, and also I want to comment that those yeah. simple cone, cone and helical cameras go way back before travel wide. The people have been making those for sure. Well, you sure. could arguably since the 19th century, but ones that look exactly like that, um, you know, and were being made back as far as the sixties or fifties. Anyway, okay. So, I haven't, yeah. I haven't come across too many of them, but, uh, but no, yeah, they're not I, common, sure. but yeah. yeah, it's just such a logical idea. You know, it's the minimum volume that holds the angle that the light is projected at. And, you know, right. it, just, it f- follows a logic of economy. And if you need no movements, um, other right, than exactly. focus, then you're, then you're fine to go. Yeah. And with extreme wide angle, that's often just like, it's better to just, deal with it than to you know even with a with a view camera when the lens is super wide it's hard to manage much in the way of movements because the everything's so compressed so let's talk about yours you you have uh what you're dubbing the pin bad deluxe pin pin blad blad (laughs) it's uh yeah it's bad it's bad as can be it's uh so i had this broken Hasselblad that a friend sent me in the mail and it it had a lens that you know the shutter was totally jammed for good and glass kind of dirty and just a lot of a lot of things wrong with it and the 
there supposedly was something wrong with the body, although I don't know what that is. And then the roll film holder also wasn't communicating with the body. And it wasn't the thing with, you know, having to have the shutter cocked a certain way. I mean, I checked all that stuff, but there was in some way that the roll film holder on this had just stopped communicating, but it works manually. It has a crank you can turn. It rolls the film through. And for whatever reason, Hasselblad had left a window in the in their even in their fancy SLR, which had all this automatic film advance uh, synchronization built into it, they still had a window. And I think it maybe that was to start on the on the right part of the roll, or I don't remember what the rationale was. But it means you can use this camera as like an old peep through the back, roll the number into position with uh, no automation. So I thought, well, that's great. I'll have a really cool, you know, make a a pinhole camera with that and it'll have a really nice six by six format easy to advance the film it'll be really great and i was going to do it but then i started looking at it and realizing it would be extremely difficult to engineer any kind of a box that would make a light tight connection with that precision hasselblad uh film holder and of course then i looked over at the hasselblad film body and thought well <laughs> that'll work <laughs> That fits perfect. So I guess I won't be building a box. And this is, right. this is how to how to build a camera. How to build <laughs> a camera just... from a camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I've played with it for a long time because it has a shutter on the back that's supposed to, it's part of a safety system to prevent unintentional exposure of the film. So this thing had all these automated connections that don't function anymore. Uh -huh. So that in the, you know, you could take the roll film back off without risk of, you know, if you forgot to put in the dark slide, there was like already a, a shutter that would keep the light and a lock. So you couldn't take it off the back and all these, all these things to prevent you from screwing up, but none of them are working, which is good because I want to, I want the thing to malfunction. So I found that it, I found a way to do a sequence of commands and firing of the shutter that would leave the, the rear shutter open and the mirror up, which is what you need to turn a Hasselblad into just a plain box. I found out how to leave it in that position, but it's, I could still undo it. If I want, I can get the mirror back down and look through the front and all that. But for a pinhole camera, I don't, I don't have any use for the, the view, you know, the ground glass or any of that. So turn it into a box. And then on the other end, I could have just put a piece of cardboard in a pinhole on there, but I had this shutter that I've been wanting to use. And I've been considering making into a pinhole shutter because I have an idea that maybe I can push some fast film and do some relatively, you know, in pinhole terms, relatively short shutter speeds. Sure. So having a shutter with, you know, some, some low end speeds would be kind of cool. So I had this old shutter um, and it had a pretty big threaded mount. It was a good size. It was a number three Ilex shutter. And it just so happened that I noticed it was very similar to the size of the uh, Hasselblad bayonet mount. Do you know what the size of the number three is? Uh, how how big that is? Ooh, well, I could measure it if you want. Well, don't let me interrupt <laughs> you, though. <laughs> okay, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, large format lenses... Um, Come uh, in different sized uh, shutters. Each one of the shutters is um, 
of a specific index All right, size. I'm, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you were talking about. Oh, I was just, I was explaining. Out. Yeah, I was explaining uh, the concept of the sized shutter that, you oh, know, uh, that a number three has a specific size. Good. Well, this is a number three Ilex shutter, and it's an awkward size. It was meant to be, you were meant to screw a lens in, you know, front element and back element in either side of it and just use it like that. Um, and it, it, it's peculiar. Ilex made uh, threads on their shutters that weren't standard so that they're sort of useless except used in a lens board or with lenses that were designed for them. So they're not that useful of a, of a shutter, except if you want to just glue stuff on, which is what I'm doing. I just used uh, gaffer tape to fix a ready-made pinhole on the front oh, of it. Oh, okay. And sure, sure. They actually also include an aperture. So, I mean, they're potentially very useful. Uh, this thing goes from 2.8 to 16. And then it's a shutter that goes from a bulb T, 1, 2, 5, 10, 25, 50, 100. So very basic shutter. It's running a little slow, um, but I'm I'm getting better at fixing these. Anyway, it is its opening is forty four millimeters, and the threads are close to forty seven. Wow. Okay, so that's pretty big. Yeah, it's pretty that's big. That's pretty big. And the outside of the shutter itself uh, is ninety millimeters, so it's big. Okay. But it's fairly light and it's solid, and the uh, the Hasselblad bayonet mount that was there on that no longer usable lens uh, was forty four millimeters, so almost perfect fit inside this shutter. You could almost just screw it together, just force it in there, uh -huh. and uh, so I just taped them together and tested it all out, and I like this camera quite a lot. It's a very very fancy uh, pinhole, but. It also got me into looking up, well, what else could I do with it? And there are almost no adapters made for Hasselblads, and that's because the cameras and lenses had to talk to each other mechanically, and it just wasn't practical for people to make knockoff Hasselblad stuff. So, But there are a couple adapters that I have no idea why they exist, but there is one that goes from Hasselblad V-mount to bayonet like this camera has to a M65 thread that fits on the M65 helical you were talking about. Yeah. And that's like one of two adapters that exist for V-mount. So it was actually very cool. So one of those is on the way and I've got a M65 helical. So I'm going to be able to stick a helical right on the front of this Hasselblad. And okay. uh, put, put, you know, a large format lens with a little bit longer focal length. So it'll have the shutter and aperture and everything in it. And it'll have a working camera. Oh, so, okay. Never throw away a Hasselblad. That's the that's the rule. Right, right, because you can always make a camera out of a Hasselblad. Right, so it'll be <laughs> manual. So I'll have to I'll have to you know lower the mirror, set the mirror down, focus it, then raise the mirror manually. So it's not you know it's not something I'm going to use uh, to shoot off the hip, but it'll be a really nice uh, tripod camera. So that should right. be fun, and I'd be a great pinhole camera too. So all that remains is for me to make a permanent glue joint get this bayonet on the shutter uh, and it will so it doesn't fall off and uh, I'll move forward with this
Okay, um, we are now on to the Scamera update. Are you ready to hear about the Scameras? Yes, I am. Okay, so uh, this is what I did. This is what, um, uh, yeah, just to, to recap, uh, do we need to recap what we're doing here? No, uh, it, no, it's really okay. It's just, just to, in, in a nutshell, um, Graham and I are trying to uh, improve some some much maligned uh, cameras that are known as scameras. They're they're kind of fake cameras, but they do work, and we think they can be made into pretty decent cameras with a little of uh, the right attention. So, uh, so I've taken Olympia, um, and the Olympia is uh, it has a motor drive to it. Um, it has uh, a very low quality lens, um, but so I took the lens off. Uh, I took the lens off, took the aperture control off, and uh, but I left the shutter on because the shutter actually works very effectively. And I think that um, I, I, I my concept was that I could put a. Uh, an SLR lens in front of it and, um, and focus, you know, make sure it had, it had full focus, um, and use that shutter that was built into it in order to, you know, make a, a good functioning camera. And what I came up with, I experimented with three SLR lenses. I had an Olympus 50 1.7, a Canon FD uh, 28.2.8, and a Minolta MD 50 1.7. And the Olympus um, could get very close to um, uh, infinity focus, but it was just a little bit short, which wouldn't be a big deal for this. I don't think it would be a, a big deal. Uh, the Canon uh, apparently has a longer uh, flange focal distance I could not get to infinity even though it was a wide angle lens um, I could not get to infinity focus on that but the Minolta MD 51.7 worked perfectly and uh, now that I think about it the Olympus I could get to, to infinity focus but it was considerably in front of the shutter the Minolta is almost sitting right on the shutter when it um, is uh, at infinity focus, and it was a really crappy uh, lens that I had, so I, I, I wasn't. Uh, uh, I, I decided that was going to be the donor. So um, I have. Um, I, don't, I have a nice one if you if you want. No, I, I don't want I've a nice got, one. <laughs> they, they tend to build up. <laughs> right, Whatever you they find do. in Minolta, there's one of those that's stuck to it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the, the thing that's amazing is you can buy a camera. Uh, I bought an X370 with a, uh, with this particular 50-millimeter lens uh, stuck to it for $26 shipped. Um, so, you know, oh, they're just... Uh, Minor fifteen in flea market, so yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's it's they, about they the tend same. to accumulate. All right, well, it's a good choice, and it's actually a really nice lens. Yeah. Well, if, if, yeah, uh, and if, if it, I don't know what's wrong with yours, but mine are really good. Yeah. Well, this one is just a little loose. 
You know, it, it just has a little bit loose. loose the, yeah. <laughs> what does loose mean? <laughs> well, the rings, the ring, there's a little bit of play in the focus ring. So when you go back oh, okay. and forth, there's a little good. bit of play. No, right. Yeah. So yeah. it's perfect for for the donor for this. So right, there, right. there were a couple of other things that factored into it. So when you take a lens off of its mount, it um, will go into one of two states. It will go into what we call the automatic state where the aperture's wide open by default. Mm-hmm. Or it will go into the manual state where you can adjust the aperture. Well, the mm-hmm. thing about the, the the Olympus is that you need to fiddle with the the bayonets in order to get, you know, those little You'd levers. Have to jam jam it in the on to, position. Right. right, right. So that I could adjust the the aperture. Um whereas the Minolta, when it's taken off you just adjust it, or maybe this one's broken. I don't know. So um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they're different because they they both they, historically they came at uh, shutter priority and aperture priority and it, from a different approach. I okay, think. So sure. It wouldn't surprise me if their lenses work differently. So um, so the, my first test before I was going to mount this, you know, glue it, tape it, um, you know cast some ceramic for it you know whatever i was going to do uh i i took it around and i free lensed with it and free lensing for those of you who are not familiar with it is just holding the lens in front of the opening and then just moving it you know so you can move it in and out forward back you can move it you can tilt it you can do all you know you can essentially have a Mm -hmm. tilt shift lens and attempting to have a light tight seal with your fingers wrapped around. Yeah, or yeah. not so light tight. So well, if you're using yeah, but I mean Yeah, I mean that's the ideal. That's the ideal. Right. But um uh part of the deal was that I uh you know, I went and grabbed some film and I and I knew I was going to be developing some color film, so I wanted color film, but I didn't want good color film. So I have a bunch of old toasted um Kodak Vera Varicolor three. That's just horrible. And I mean, it's, it's three quarters of fog and maybe a little bit of image. Uh, but I, but I shot that. I went out in the backyard and shot 26 shots. And, um, uh, the result is it's in focus. Everything is good. Uh, just, I mean, just free lensing. I was perfectly fine. Uh, I stopped down because the opening of the shutter is, is relatively narrow in, in comparison to the opening of the, um, uh, of the, uh, you know, the maximum aperture of the lens. So I'm going to guess it's, you know, at most F eight, somewhere right in there. That's what it says, um, for the camera itself. Well, it was... are you sure that the shutter is going to, uh, interfere? No, I don't think that the shutter will interfere. I just, okay, so. I, I just need to hold it just a tiny bit out. So what, what I'm trying to say is that, is that? Oh, you're trying neck, to get a hyper. You're trying to get a hyperfocal setup. No, well, yeah, I will eventually. But what I was trying to say is that, okay, so if we open an SLR, we get a diameter of, uh, I don't know, 25 millimeters at the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, this the, the where the shutter is. It's probably six millimeters I across. See. You mean that the opening in your in your camera is very small? Absolutely. Got it. Yeah. I got it. So you're you're thinking that it's going to possibly vignette 
Right. Well, it, it um, no, I, if I get that on there, I've proven, uh, I've gotten full frame images. Okay. So um, you're set. So I'm set. It's just that I stopped it down. What I was saying was I was stopping it down. So that, that I have, because I've stopped it down, I have a little bit of play in how exactly where it mounts because I'm never going to open it wide open. I mean, I can open it wide open, but it's never the, the choke point is not within the aperture ring of the lens. The choke point is that opening at the shutter. Right. I'm just trying to picture what happens when you open the aperture too wide. What's it look like? Oh, I, oh, good question. We'll have to, we'll have to try that out. I'll try it out yeah. when I get them out. So there you go. So I did a couple of, you know, attempts with tape and I didn't get anything that I thought that was satisfactory. There was just, it's just not a really good space in which to work. So what I did was I uh, went on eBay and I found some uh, extension tubes for Minolta MD. Um, and uh, and so I've ordered those. So uh, I'll cut those apart, you know, I'll, and I'll shave them down so they'll fit um, mm-hmm. that space. So that's where I'm at. It is just, you know, I'm at the point of I'm about to have a functioning camera with a Minolta MD lens, which, you know, let's face it, some people could call a camera. Um, and I'm about to have a full functioning. I'm going to say that again. The Minolta's equivalent to a camera, Nick. <laughs> I'm not buying it. And you're not buying it. You're not buying it. You're laughing now at me, not with me. There we go. Okay. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to having a functional camera based on that camera. Uh, I'm, I'm very close. So, um, it's going to be ugly, you know, it's going to be all taped together. Uh, well, then it may be, be a matter hideous. of, then you may have to, uh, have follow up your, your present plan with a reinforcing regimen where you add a lot of strength to it and sure. then a beautification, uh, plan where you dress thing up. So it looks good. So I, mean, I don't think, so you know, glue... you, we could keep going until these things <laughs> are, you know, water, weatherproof, bombproof. And like amazing looking if we want. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as there's some shard of plastic that says Olympia on it somewhere inside <laughs> it all. Well, this, this is going to be most of the body still left. Uh, I mean, I'm going to use another, the viewfinder yeah, a lot to and everything. Do. So. Still a lot to do. Yeah. So uh, so I, we're getting close. We're get, we're not quite there. We're not, we're, uh, it's not at the point where I can, you know, it might be ready for the next Cheap Shots Challenge. Which is fine art photography. So, I it's getting close. It is getting very close. So, uh, it's either going to be that, or I'm going to use my um, my Ninoka or Nikonon. You have Nikonon. I have a Ninoka. I have the Nikonon. You have the yeah, Ninoka. Right. Yeah. So I've been working on the Nike. Uh, then which one do I have? The Nikonon. <laughs> uh, I, I shot a roll of film. I got it developed. I looked at it. I actually think it's a pretty good camera, just the way it is. Uh, the lens isn't bad. It, it's not bad. It's not good, but it's not good in a way that has character and kind of a nice out-of-focus quality without losing detail. It's actually pretty good in a lot of ways. And I'm not not all that surprised because I had looked it up, and there are other people who took pictures with these cameras and posted them on Flickr. And they're not very many, but there are a few, and they were surprisingly good for such a... Uh, basic 
plastic camera. So that at first made me think, oh, I should just keep this. But then when I think about it, I'm not really going to use it. I mean, if I have a better camera, I'm always going to use that. So I think I have to stick to the original plan and try and make this into something good. So the next thing is to take it all apart. Um, I have uh, several candidates for lenses, so I don't, I'm not worried about that. It's just, and I am inclined to put some sort of a mount on it so we could even use different lenses, like maybe set it up for M42 or whatever that this camera is so, so uh, skinny compared to your Olympia that I don't think there'll be any trouble adapting lenses except for your uh, idea about the constricted throat but i'm not sure that's a problem either because i'm not sure i'm going to be able to save my shutter i may just be making as big a hole as i want in the front of this camera so sure you know you know i i could then i could put a regular proper lens on and i'd need a shutter so i was just thinking as you were talking about what you were going to do and you know you have plenty of lenses around you know we i've pulled this lens off of the Olympia, there's no reason why I can't take that and put it on a Minolta. No, you, you, know? you should. In fact, it's and, like, what is yeah. this donor donor organ thing? Can't you just trade? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I should. Good idea. And, and I'll uh, when I'm fully done with that one, I'll brand it Sony. And, okay. So uh, while while we're kind of in this area. It, the other day, I was thinking about your uh, your Olympia, and you you made some crack about being the king of cameras, and it occurred to me that because it's from Olympia, it has to be considered a god among cameras. Sure. And, and then I looked up a little Greek mythology, and, and the right the correct god would be Hermes, who apparently invented lies and was basically the original scammer <laughs> um, in Greek mythology. And, yeah. And so I I started thinking, well, what kind of a camera would live up to that you know that heritage? Uh, and I also considered the version I think I'm going to build is the Nordic version. So it's Loki. So, well, basically I'll make something that looks like a Leica, but it's called a Loki. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And, and then I started thinking, well, how would these cameras behave? And I started coming up with features they could have. Like you could design the flash to go off a second before the shutter <sighs> so that you would be guaranteed a horrified expression on the subject's face. Or, you know, it could squirt uh, fluids or something like that. You know, I mean, you could come up with uh, a sort of an aggressive and annoying um, or maybe even fraudulent uh, contraptions on this camera in order to influence the outcome of the image. Sure, that sounds good. Yeah, I think think there's a whole, like, genre of camera here that, like, that probably not, you know... Seven age seven through twelve year old boys are going to really like. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you, you you just triggered something um, that I forgot to say that I was uh, uh, going to say when I w- was talking about the camera. Um, we talked last week about the the shutter mechanism, or uh, the last episode we talked talked about the shutter mechanism and how it's a disc that swings away. Uh, it's got a, a little pivot point, a trigger right. comes by, flips that, flips the disc at, from, from the, uh, uh, from the other side of the pivot point and flips the, the disc right out of the way. And then it, it has a spring that springs it back right into its resting closed position. So 
one of the things about this camera is that there are lots of wires that run around it and um, they seem, you know, electrical wires. Um, well, what I discovered was, well, we had, we had talked about the fact that how would that flash work if it was a shutter that swung to the side and how could it work faster than uh, like a one sixtieth or, or or whatever shutter speed? Sure, it worked through my brain. I had to work through my brain a little bit, but what I did was I I noticed that as that spring was pushed up, you know, the spring that holds the disc uh, closed, as it was pushed up, it touched a um a, a little another wire. It touches Guaranteeing another wire. that while the shutter was open, it was instructing the flash to And fire. that's when the flash right. goes off. Right. Exactly. Right. So that's so wonderfully that's, simple. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the things that we're thinking about. And then the other half of that is we were, we're trained to that 150th, 160th frame or uh, shutter speed as the fastest sh- sync shutter speed. Well, with a focal plane shutter, Right. The the problem is that if it's if the shutter is moving at any faster rate, the front shutter has not cleared the right. opening before the second shutter goes. Right. That's take the a, reason. They, yeah. That's They're basically the, running a slot in front of the image and so you would only get a slot-shaped area with right. flash. Right. 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 So that's the that's the the limiting function. It's not about because that that flash goes off in, you know, in a very small fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not about the duration of the flash. Right. It's right. about how long that you have a full opening. And this and what one, it boils down to is perfectly is in a, a focal plane shutter going fast is running a slot in front of the image. So right. it's moving, it's moving across. Whereas any sort of leaf shutter or flipper shutter, as you described, has a moment when it's all the way open. Right. And then all you need is a, a, a mechanical confirmation that it's at that all the way open point and makes closes the circuit. Boom. There you go. Right. 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 That that's uh, yeah, that makes that makes uh, a lot of sense. And it's also the reason why we talked earlier about those oval shaped tires when you've photographed fast moving objects with a focal plane shutter, you know, moving left to right across the frame. Diff- different parts of the image were being exposed at right. different moments and it, although those were it. vertical traveling um same thing though right. i mean same yeah. principle it right. was still because it was a slot running across that right right exactly so yeah. okay so once again um you know uh graham from the sunny 16 has uh pushed us into avenues of discovery that we otherwise would not have so right. he's done a good job. So, In fact, if some kid someday hits him with an early flash and a squirt in the face from their camera, then right. he'll, he'll have to <laughs> assume direct responsibility for his own humiliation. pulled out this time came in handy because uh, 
friend of mine, uh, an older gentleman, had a whole lot of old Nikon stuff, and he wanted to know if I could sell it and, uh, you know, help him out and take some kind of camera-like bribe out of this. And it, uh, and I have a book that I just happened to find in a used bookstore called The Complete Nikon System. So I started using this book to figure out, you know, and it, what different lenses were he had and which cameras and all of this and figure out, you know, whether it was going to be worth selling some of it. And, uh, it was really fun to go through all that research. And I hadn't really looked at this book before and it, I'm going to suggest it now as a resource for people who build their own cameras. It's called the complete Nikon system illustrated equipment guide by Peter Braxko, B-R-A-C-Z-K-O, however you pronounce that. And uh, but it actually has absolutely every object Nikon ever made, including all these really exotic custom things. Um, and Nikon was a company that would make custom cameras and lenses for professionals. If you had the money, they would make anything, and they did. And there's some really interesting and pretty far-out cameras and lenses and gadgets in there. Worth really? At from for, ah. for inspiration, yeah. Yeah, you tend to forget that. Like, that's the thing about about Nikon for years and years. They were the, the company people went to if they wanted something exotic or special. Really? Okay. And, uh, Didn't know that about yeah. them. Yep. Okay. Um, let, I, I wanted to talk, uh, last week, our last episode, um, I identified, uh, somebody incorrectly. Uh, I said that Panamicron was doing the, um, X-Pan styled, uh, camera. He's, he's, he's working on another one. Um, the, the camera that I was looking at was, um, James underscore Irvin on Instagram. And apparently he goes by Cody. Um, he has built, he has 3d printed what looks to me like an X pan like camera. And he has some, uh, a, a test picture up that he, that he posted over the weekend and um it's looking like it's coming along very well and it's a really nice looking body um that he has that he has designed um using 3d printing it uses a different system from what mine does um it's printing um a material that is different from the pla material that i print so it get it it's looking really nice so i just wanted to clarify that uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, uh, uh, the camera dactyl posting uh, lately. Oh my God, uh, um, Ethan has been doing all sorts of strange stuff. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, Nick, but he was uh, he had put together an electronic control for a shutter out of Arduino and a couple of bits of parts and he was using an old electro 35 as yeah. as the 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 test bed and yeah. uh, uh so he's just putting together this circuit you know as he's printing five by seven cameras uh or five by seven excuse me four by five i'm making him bigger there uh four by five cameras from his successful kickstarter so um my uh, you know i'm uh i i absolutely love his um he's really going down the the shutter speed the 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 shutter control 
and aperture control avenue of camera building. Um, as opposed to, you know, I'm, I, I spend most of my time building bodies and, um, and film advanced mechanisms. Um, although I'm not, you know, I haven't been building those lately. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I love the, the fact that, you know, there are other people working at other ends of this. He also had, he was using, and this is, this is probably a month ago. He posted a video of, um, uh, of using his, the door to, I think it was a, a bathroom door, um, a, as, as kind of a test bed for a rangefinder. You know, you know the ba- nice. oh, I'm sorry, the b- mirror on the bathroom door, and as he was closing it, and he was lining right. things up, and uh, sure. just uh, I'm I'm glad there are other people out there um, who are doing this crazy stuff. Uh, now you've also re- you've reminded me of uh, something that I wanted to mention. There's that ties into your uh, the camera you're building. Um, the very most recent image posted on the. Uh, homemade camera podcast Flickr stream is uh in, invited Dirk Fletcher to put up this ultralight four by five point and shoot that he made. And what he did is he bought something called a Harman Titan four by five pinhole bellows. Uh, it's not really a bellows. It's more like a, oh, a yeah. ABS, a plastic cone. Um, so I, I looked up and tracked that down to find out what it was. And it was, it's a, pinhole camera that's a four by five set up um at the type of design we talked about earlier the just minimal pyramidal cone uh from a, a graph lock connector on the back or something like it to a lens board on the front and he just cut the one he just took this and it's it, Harmon. in case someone doesn't realize is uh it's ilford it's the company that owns ilford and they, um, well, it turns out they teamed up with a guy in England who makes something called Walker cam- cameras, oh, which okay. I hadn't heard of, but they are, they go back years and years. He's been making uh, CAD machined ABS field cameras. They look really solid, really elegant. They're entirely made of machined ABS and stainless steel. Um, and he made a whole series for years. Unfortunately, they were, uh, some of the parts were I think they were die cast and the, some company had destroyed the, uh, dies to the four by five model, but he's still making the eight by 10 and five by seven field cameras. And this thing he did with Ilford, which is this little travel wide shaped, uh, cone camera. Um, and Dirk Fletcher just put it a, a 65 millimeter angle on right on the front of it and a, a viewfinder and, some sort of film holder on the back and he's got a really cool camera. So Dirk makes some incredible cameras. Um, yeah. he's, he's got a couple other ones up on our, um, on our stream. Um, they're, they're kind of the, the, the high end of what I would love to be able to do. Um, yeah, they're great. Yeah. So I'll probably not reach those heights too readily, but, um, uh, but yeah, there, and he's got another four by five lightweight four by five field camera that's on Actually, there. Actually, the one we're re- referencing, this particular camera is really completely within your, uh, skill set. It's just a hole he drilled. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, you, you know, those, um, <laughs> the Harman Titans go for a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they are expensive, although, um, and so, and it's basically the same as my Mercury, you know, and, you could build it out of front right. core and a cup and you know, and like 
a few minutes with a sharp knife and some tape. So, yeah. of course. But um, on the other hand, this one looks like, uh, well, it would be hard on the lens, but it looks like you could drop it from a height and it would be fine. You know? Right, right, exactly. Now, part of Actually, the deal... you could probably even just have a parachute on the thing. And... <laughs> Bungee it. Bungee it around yeah. your neck. That's what right. that's what the deal is. So, um, the uh, uh, this it, it, you know part of the deal is that this is kind of what I'm working toward. If I um, if I find that I like shooting the two and a quarter by three and a quarter camera, um, which I'm referring to as the quarter camera because it takes so long to say it. Um, and the uh, so this is what I'm working towards. Uh, if I like shooting it, but if I find that I don't want to shoot cheap film, then yeah, I'm not going to go there. So, uh, yeah, it's so kind I of was a just thinking, concept thing. So, and I, and I had thought of that earlier and it occurs to me that uh, I don't know if I'd bother with two by three, but you have a big, uh, box of this stuff. Um, but for four by five anyway, uh, kind of revisiting the um, old holders that held several sheets. So there was a standard Graflex one that you could put six sheets of four by five in and you could shoot them one, two, three, four, five, six without changing the back. And it was a clever contraption that they'd figured out very compact. Um, And they're around and you could revive one of those Um, or maybe invent your own version. Like it seems to me that you could figure out a way to uh, shuffle through a deck of, of, uh, uh, you know, sheets of film with a contraption of one kind or another, if you put your mind to it. So, right. Um, uh, and I also just saw that Andrew Bartram, um, of the, the lensless podcast has, uh, posted on our, um, uh, Flickr group as well. So, um, if you want to go to our Flickr group, it is, um, the homemade camera podcast Flickr group. And, uh, so you can find a lot of the stuff that we do and a lot of discussions. Um, we have a lot of good, good discussions there. So come and join those. Um, if you want to contact either of us, you can email us, um, Graham at homemadecamera.com or Nick at homemadecamera.com. Uh, I'm on Flickr as uh, Graham Homemade Camera on Flickr. No, I'm not. I'm on Instagram as Graham Homemade Camera. I'm on Flickr as Freezer of Photons. And uh, Nick, you are um, Nick Lyle on Flickr. And what's your Instagram handle? A-V-Y-N-I-C-K. Abby Nick. Okay. And, uh, so join us. So, uh, also I want to point out, even though, uh, you can find this on emulsive.org, uh, M did a listing of all the, uh, film, uh, and experimental, uh, photography related podcasts. Um, even though you can find it there, we are also part of the film podcast network, which is a listing of, uh, all the film and experimental um, uh, photography podcasts. So if you do a podcast, um, there is a form on that page and you can fill it out and I will list you. Uh, I list them in the order in which the, they are received. So except for the foreign language ones, which are all way down there at the bottom, um, because that's where Jonas belongs, right? All the way down there at the bottom. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anything else before we uh, sign off and thank uh, Robbie? Uh, well, uh, there there is a short story that I'll forget if I don't tell it now. Okay, uh, sure. So uh, I was listening to uh, now. What's it? What is it called? It's not antique cameras. It's uh... are you, are you talking about the classic camera revival? No, there's no. another podcast. Classic so lenses. Classic. Oh my! No, that's not it. Well, anyway, I we'll I think I'm going to edit out, out that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a note somewhere, but yeah, yeah, I find it right now. It's the, it's a bunch of Canadians. They talk about yeah, that's old, classic old camera cameras. revival. That's classic camera revival. Yes, absolutely. Okay. They're right. probably so I Canadian. I was, it says right I was on their logo. Listening to classic camera revival just the other day, and they they cried out that if you. If you use naphtha to clean a shutter, it will destroy it forever. And I thought, well, I just tried that on it, on the uh, Optar 65 shutter that I had. And uh, so I went and checked it and been sitting in the drawer for a couple of months. And lo and behold, it was all seized up just as they predicted. <laughs> wow. Okay. But but the book that told me to do this in the first place also told me to lubricate it. So I, t- I opened it back up, took the elements off both ends removed a few screws and a couple of plates so that I could get a, a view of all the shutter mechanisms. And I very delicately added little bits of oil with the end of a very skinny screwdriver, uh, something called Nia oil that's been recommended as good for cameras. Okay. And N-Y-O-I-L. Anyway, dribble a tiny bit on, work the shutter, put a little tiny bit on here and there, just places that look like it might need a little teeny bit of lubrication. And uh, got it all tidy and cleaned up, and the thing seems to work fine now. So the 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 motto is, if you're going to clean the camera, don't forget to lubricate it after. Okay. If you clean off places that need lubrication. And, all right. Uh, anyway, and happy ending to that. Okay. Um, you want to thank Robbie? Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios composed the music we're using Uh throughout our show and donated it to, for us to use and you should go check out his stuff at soundtrap studios mm-hmm.